Bunny Holly, J.P. Richardson, and Richie Valens decided to charter a Beechcraft Bonanza to take them to their next destination on their tour when something goes wrong. What caused their plane to crash in a cornfield, marking February 3rd, 1959, as the day the music died? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. And today we have our friend Jen. Hello! I'm back, y'all. You might remember for her from our Tenerife episodes. 23 and 24. And she's back. And back. We're this doing time, uh, several uh, new things yeah. this time. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. This is I'm recorded gonna... remotely. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I did a little little research on uh, you know a plane crash since this is the podcast and Love the plane crashes. <laughs> That's the other new thing is she's kind of doing this on her own. Like we're just listening in this time, basically. Yeah, so I mean so, a little bit of let me let me do my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah go what ahead. What are we What are we covering today, Jen? <laughs> well, today today we're covering the day that music died. Dun, oh, I da-da. should I should bring up who's requested this. I think it yes. was Jen. <laughs> oh, well, we've no, had other people. I don't so know thanks. if it was me. I requested I to do the music ones, though. That's true. Um, I know off the top of my head, I think Chris, our patron, recommended it. So, but this go. is uh, <clears throat> also not a commercial crash, which no. is uh, kind of a first for us. So yeah. that'll be interesting. Not really, but kind of. And this is very big part of aviation history for especially for rock and roll nuts mm-hmm. but also for even in aviation it got a lot of attention on a very specific issue so <clears throat> for those of you who don't know this is the story of how buddy holly uh richie valens and frankie sardero died in a horrible plane crash so if you guys want me to start i shall get started Go for it. So it all started in January 1959. They were on this winter dance party tour. Buddy Holly was this up-and-coming singer, this rock and roll guy. He went on tour with uh, Dion and the Belmonts, um, somebody called the Big Bopper, which is pretty cool. And they wanted to do a 24-day tour of the Midwestern United States. Pretty banging. So they kicked it off in January, and it was planned in on February 15th, 1959, which is a pretty cold time in that area. Like, it's not the best weather from January to February. No, definitely not. (laughs) Nope. So not a very good idea as a tour manager to book this type of tour. Anyways, so not even a month into the tour, disaster struck, and... I mean, they started playing all these small dates in very small, cold towns. Um, the band and the crew were stuck in one tour bus. And it wasn't like the fancy Taylor Swift kind where it's like super big, you know. No. <laughs> they were super drafty. They were really, you know, rickety. In fact, they uh, eventually broke down and they had multiple different buses that they had to replace their breaking down buses with. Oh, geez. <laughs> On February 1st, an event kicked off a series of events, if you will, a butterfly effect of what would cause Buddy Holly to charter the plane. So February 1st, the bus that they were in, it didn't have heat and it was very cold. And the drummer, Carl Bunch, left the tour because he got frostbite on his feet. Oh, gosh. Yikes. That's not good. <laughs> on his feet. Y'all. He's a drummer. I mean, yeah, that's not good at all. It's like a quarter of his money, you know? Like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> one, <fourth. laughs> one appendage equals uh, one fourth of your money. Your drummer, man. That's what it is. So once the first person left, everybody else started getting ideas and a lot of unrest started happening. So at this point, the tour was scheduled to play two shows and then move on to a, a small town called Clear Lake, Iowa. For the next night's performance. So they played these two shows. Everybody was really annoyed. They get on this gross bus one more time. And they get 
to Clear Lake, Iowa. Nobody wanted to travel in that bus again after this. And once they got to this place, they didn't really have a show scheduled. So their manager booked a show um, by going around town trying to find a venue. And they, they, uh, they found the surf ballroom. So they booked a show for that night. And Buddy Holly was like, I'm not, I'm not going to ride this bus again. So February 2nd, they played a show. And while they were there, they talked to the manager of the surf ballroom the venue that they were at and uh they booked them the the charter it was called the dwyer flying service a company out of mason city iowa and the airport they were going to go to was hector airport in fargo which you know i'm not really sure what it looks like to be honest but it doesn't sound very fun sounds <laughs> like a small airport yeah in it's iowa. probably <laughs> pretty small a small iowa airport all right. So flight arrangements were made that Robert Peterson, who was a 21-year-old local pilot, would fly the plane. Um, in fact, the day of the, the flight, the weather was very bad. There were flying advisories out, and any instrument trained pilot could have handled. But Peterson was not licensed for flying with instruments. Oh, he was God. not instrument rated. In fact, God. he... Yeah. He had recently failed the instrument test. Oh, even That's worse. That's when you go, okay, maybe not you. Maybe somebody. <laughs> yeah, this In is fact, really not a good idea. Well, I don't think they really told anybody. I think he was like, yep, sure, we're going to do it. It's Buddy Holly. This is a great move. We, we can say we flew him. A lot of pilots, like when we talk about, and we will eventually talk about the Kobe Bryant crash, mm. a lot of pilots that are just not fit to fly in certain conditions or like no i can do it because there's these important people that need to get somewhere so we're gonna do it even though it's in a dangerous situation you don't know how to fly with your instruments etc exactly. yeah it's that external pressure thing that's really bad yes i mean you want to further your career what better way to do it you can't say no Oh, yes, you yes, can. Yes, you can. <laughs> all right, all right. It's not safe, you can. <laughs> I mean, I think it looks more humble to say, you know what? It's not a good day to fly. Sorry, guys, but, you know. That's what a professional would have done. Yeah. Um, maybe I should become a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> you could. All right. So Buddy Holly called his wife, and, sh and he said, hey, honey. I don't know what he said, but he probably said he loved her and stuff like that and said, hey, we're flying out. I can't ride in this bus anymore. This is awful. Maybe he sang her a song. Who knows? So Dwyer, the the service that they, they hired, charged a fee of $36 per passenger for the flight on a 1947 single-engined three-seater Beechcraft 35 Bonanza. Banana. It's a banana. <laughs> it's a banana name. That's what um, me and Christy call um, ba bananzas. Yeah. bananas. That's their nickname. A beachcraft banana. banana. The All right, well, banana. The beachcraft was a really interesting airplane, the Bonanza in particular, because it was one of the first true business airplanes. Really? Yeah, and I don't know much about it. So yeah, so in early, it was a pretty early single-engine airplane in the market. And it was really intended for, you know, a little bit more of the uppity, but it's kind of like that traveling business person and mm -hmm. the doctors and such. It became known as the doctor killer because a lot of doctors bought them and they didn't know how to fly them and it would kill them. Oh. Um, in particular, because this plane had one feature that's not common on any other airplane. It's got the V-tail. Yeah. The, oh. the Bonanza 35 had the V-tail. So instead of having one vertical and two horizontal stabilizers, it has two Vs that act as both. So it performs two functions, and it's a whole different learning curve. But it's a really stable, nice airplane if you learn how to fly it right. There's still lots of them flying, and they are phenomenal airplanes because they fly fast, high, they've got retractable gear, so they're a little more outfitted than, say, a Cessna 172 or even a Cirrus. So they're nice airplanes, but they're definitely, they had a reputation for being dangerous if you didn't know how to keep them in stable flight. 
So they're not very stable for the 21-year-old non-instrument trained pilot. No. And they're also, they're also a lot of airplane to handle if all you've done is visual flying. They're capable of doing instrument flight, but if you're not instrument rated, you're going to be behind that airplane as soon as you fly into a cloud. Okay. Yep, that, that does not sound like a good idea to me. Nope. Danger, <sighs> danger. <laughs> so, after the show ended that night, the manager of the venue drove uh, Holly, Valens, and Richardson to the Mason City Municipal Airport. The weather at the time of departure was reported as a light snow. And I don't know if this means anything to you all because you love airplanes and stuff, but it had a ceiling of 3,000 feet. So yeah. that means that the bottom of the clouds, so where you would enter the clouds, is at 3,000 feet. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so the sky was obscured, and visibility was 6 miles, and the winds were 20 to 30 miles per hour. So yeah, in reality, it actually wasn't bad, and this is marginally VFR. So as a VFR pilot, you could actually legally fly in that. You just couldn't fly into the clouds. Yeah, because that's when you wouldn't be able to have any visibility. Mm, that makes sense. So you'd have you to stay have to below maintain, the clouds. Yeah, you have to stay below the clouds, usually 1,000 feet below. So 2,000 feet. And then, yes, yeah. exactly. Well, you have to be able to see the horizon. That's the big thing with VFR. If you're not instrument rated, it's really you can get disoriented super easily if you can't see the horizon. Okay. They also said that the pilot never received information about deteriorating weather. Um, it was reported right. along the planned route, but it never got to him. Oh. That's not good. That doesn't help either. I couldn't figure out whose fault it was, <laughs> but we'll just <laughs> we'll just say it was his. Because he didn't look it up. <laughs> was that uh, before the ATIS? Do you part- know, Nick? I tried no. to look up when ATIS was established once. This shouldn't be before. Well, it wouldn't necessarily be the ATIS, but it might have been ASOS or AWOS, which mm. are automated uh, systems. The ATIS, I guess, I mean, it probably still would have been around. Yeah. They're, that's really I think old system. My big um, question would be, like, if would, would it be the pilot's fault for not looking it up, or would it be the airport's fault for not giving him that information? Because, I mean, that's like a, a, a flip-flip, right? Like, if, is it, like, did they need to give that information to them, or did they get it on a radio frequency? They could have gotten the information on radio frequency, probably. But the thing is, is it wasn't necessarily required for them to include, say, the weather conditions are going to change over the next so much time. Mm. They would have only reported the weather at, at the, the moment. So, unless the weather conditions change significantly, then they probably wouldn't have updated it. Okay. And they might not have done it fast enough anyways. Hmm. Actually, I read something about it in the analysis, so we'll wait for it a little bit. Okay. But ADIS's did start in 1964. 1964. That's what I thought. Okay, so it was after 59, so. Correct. Um, So, ADIS did not exist at this point. Yeah. Okay. But they might have still, there's still plenty of resources available to them. They could have made a good decision. I mean, right. I just feel like if I was going to fly an airplane, I would check the weather of the place I'm going. Yes. That would <laughs> be, again, usually, the professional thing to do. That's Dang it, usually guys. part I gotta, of learning I gotta to fly. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jen Airlines, welcome aboard. Oh, Jen, boy. <laughs> I serve tiramisu at all hours and free sodas. Hell yeah! <laughs> Where do I sign up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, every 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 aisle is a first class. <laughs> uh, there's like three seats in the whole plane. It's uh, fine. <laughs> the luggage right. cart is just a tray. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. So <clears throat> here's where a little bit of fate steps in. There had been some changes. Who was gonna ride in the plane? On the way to the airport. So the man called the Big Bopper. He he basically said, I'm really tired. He's got an oversized frame. He said, I was tired of wedging myself in those tiny bus seats. So he asked one of the passengers that was supposed to ride Jennings to let him have his seat. Jennings said, yeah, sure. I get it, man. So Jennings went on the bus. 
He's no longer on the airplane. So Valens was like, hey, man, I want to ride on this airplane. And one of the other men who were supposed to ride was called Alsup. That's his last name. I think he was the drummer. Um, No, the replacement drummer. I'm not really sure. I'll tell you in a minute. I wrote it down. But <laughs> Alsup said, no, man, this is my seat. I don't want to ride on the on the bus. So they decided to flip a coin. Oh, dear Lord. Alsup lost. <laughs> so Valen's gone on there. This would be something that was probably the worst decision he ever made. So we have Buddy Holly, we have uh, the Big Bopper, and we have Valens on this airplane. So Holly, Richardson, and Valens got into the plane, and Peterson started the engine of the the four-place Beechcraft 35 Bonanza, the banana, and took off. The banana. So... By the time that Dwyer uh, got on, you know, up to his shelf, as I've learned, the ceiling, um, uh-huh. he started to notice that, you know, takeoff was pretty shaky. He's getting a little nervous. A few minutes later, he got on the radio to see if everything was okay, to check the weather. He had no answer. So he uh, called the Fargo airfield to see if anybody had landed. And it hadn't. They, they they didn't know where they were at the other airport. They were supposed to be there. Nobody had seen them. So, basically, they took off in another airplane <laughs> to retrace the planned route. Unfortunately, they found the plane eight miles from Clear Lake, Iowa. And so, it, not very far. It had crashed in a cornfield, and the bodies had been strewn about. The sheriff's office alerted Dwyer who was in the other airplane trying to find them and dispatched a deputy who drove to the crash site and talked to the owner of the cornfield. Now there are some photos. I don't know if you guys could post them or not, but I shared a link. Um, Yeah, we can do that. There's memorials. There's like a nice map. They have the federal aviation administration investigators looking at it. It's pretty neat. Was it the FAA or the Civil Aeronautics Board? It said the Federal Aviation Administration investigator, Eugene Anderson. Hmm. And, and okay. Fred I'm, pretty sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was the CAB that... I know it was the CAB. Yeah. Investigated this. But FAA must have helped. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And there is one photo that... I mean, you can barely see what's in it, but just trigger warning. <laughs> there are bodies in it. So, well, yeah. FYI. So the banana, the bonanza, had an affected terrain at high speed. It was estimated to have been around 170 miles per hour. And they say it banked steeply to the wow. right. And it was in a nose down altitude. Attitude. So, attitude. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Attitude. You That's guys, okay. you guys it mixes get it up. <laughs> yeah. My it's dyslexia. Okay. So the right wing tip had struck the ground first, which would send the aircraft cartwheeling. Across the frozen ah. field before oh, it rested nice. against a wire fence at the edge of the field. Um, Moving at some serious speed, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they hit, and they I'm, I'm pretty sure they were thrown about and then out. So it was non-survivable, in my opinion. Definitely not at that speed and that size of an airplane. Mm-mm. That's pretty insane. Well, and the That's... fact that it cartwheeled and, like, everybody, there was only four people in it, like, no, there's no way. I'm sorry, how fast did you say they were going? 170 miles per hour. Holy crap. That's really fast for those airplanes. Yeah. And that's why, that you know, they said they had a, a affected terrain at high speed, so that was not good. <laughs> yeah, no bueno. I loved how they put that. Like, they affected the ground. <laughs> no, really? You know, like... <laughs> like it was a little, like, um... Cratered. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. So the bud, the the bodies of Holly and Valens were found near the wreckage. Richardson, which was the big bopper, um, his body had been thrown over the fence and into the cornfield, while the pilot Peterson was entangled inside the plane. Carol Anderson, who had driven the party to the airport and witnessed the takeoff, had to go and identify the bodies. Of the musicians. Um, yeah, that's horrifying. So that was a bad day for her. The coroner certified that all four victims died instantly, citing the cause Thank of death God. as gross trauma to brain um, for the three artists and brain damage for the pilot. At least they didn't suffer. 
no that's that's all i could have thought was like it ha- they they had to know oh okay we're gonna crash and then boom they're dead you know yeah yeah it so, happens really fast they didn't discover the crash site till sunrise way after then uh, the owner of the flying service dwyer conducted a brief search following the flight path but because of the weather and remote location nobody on the ground team was able to reach the crash till crash till later in the morning it does here say here the official investigation was carried out by the civil aeronautics board which was the predecessor to today's ntsb okay okay the ones i remember from last episode i was on yeah they helped on that one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the CAB was the overall investigation authority for the United States for aviation disasters until 1965, I want to say. Okay. So a couple, probably like six to eight years after this happened. And I'm going to verify because I trust myself, but I also don't. Just we, kidding. I was totally freaking wrong. It's 1985. 85. Ah. All right. So a long time after. They probably merged into the NTSB earlier, but they didn't completely dissolve until 1985. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure they all worked together for a while. So the pilot, Peterson, had had over four years of flying experience, of which one was with the flying service. He had accumulated 711 flying hours, of which was 128 on the Bonanzas. I don't know if that's a lot for a Bonanza, but... That's... Eh. On the Bonanza, that would be Because mm, it's a, a short-range airplane, so I'm not sure how many hours you might get on it. Yeah. So. Well, it depends on how much you'd fly it around, but... I mean, that's not a whole lot of hours. No. Out of 711, yeah. <laughs> 711 is... It's a fair amount for a charter pilot, but for him to not have his instrument rating is pretty crazy. Yeah, it at seems that number of hours. Slightly mm-hmm. like he didn't have his commercial rating yet. Like you mm-hmm. can't be a charter pilot till you have your commercial rating, right? Yeah, I'm right. Correct. Right. right now, now it might have been different back then, right? And we talked about this. The three of us talked about this earlier. Could be why that changed, right? You can't charter a flight with people who pay you unless you have a commercial license. We'll so talk about it a commercial. little bit more. We'll talk about it a little bit more later, but basically, there's specific rules about, as a VFR pilot, as a private pilot certificate holder, what you can you can get from your passengers, because they can't legally pay you to have you fly them somewhere. Yeah. Unless you you have your commercial rating. Unless you have a commercial rating. And you're operating as a business. There's, that's, there's a lot to that. But you can't, as a private pilot, take money to fly somebody somewhere. They can split costs with you. There's a very specific rule to that. You can't have gain. Right. Yeah. Right. So, n- no bueno. Correct. He, th- it says here that the pilot had logged 52 hours of instrument flying training, but he had only passed his written examination and was not yet qualified to operate in weather that required flying solely by reference to instruments. He was only certified to operate under visual flight rules, which required the pilot to be able to see where he is going. And on the night of the incident, visual flight would have been virtually impossible due to the very low clouds, and he couldn't see the horizon. Uh-huh. Exactly. And the absence of ground lights over the sparsely populated area, which there are none there. If you look at the map, there's a really nice... Yeah, there's nothing. You know? open. The CAB concluded that the accident was due to the pilot's unwise decision to embark on a flight. Which I agree. That required instrument flying skills he had not proved to have. A contributing factor was the pilot's unfamiliarity with the old-styled attitude gyroscope which I'm sure you guys can tell me about, that was on board the aircraft, which may have caused him to believe that he was climbing when he was, in fact, descending. So he had spatial disorientation. Completely disorientation. Yeah, Yeah. so gyroscopes are like little... We've talked about them before. They're kind of attitude indicators. They help you figure out which way you're heading, which way the the nose is pointing. And if you don't know how to use it properly, you can fly yourself straight into the ground. Okay. 
yeah, yeah, he did. He he did know. He didn't know how to use it, and so I think he thought he was going up instead of down. And then they also said that another factor was the seriously inadequate weather briefings provided, which failed to even mention the adverse flying condition, which should have been highlighted. So I guess they figured it was really nasty out. So Um, investigators particularly found that no one brought the flash advisories to the pilot's attention in particular, and that this led to the pilot underestimating the severity of the weather. Yes, their responsibility is to provide the weather information and interpret it when asked, but it is not technically their responsibility to advise on action. Hmm. Okay. So it's not their fault? It's his fault. Technically. It's not great, Couple last things. I have a not-so-fun fact. So Richie Valens had a fear of flying. Great. Um, Why was he... Why would he advocate for flying was on the airplane that much hate for the bus yeah yeah <laughs> you hate that. the bus so much that you're willing to conquer your fear of flying yes frankly not a great idea in this case so when he was a child um he was playing in a playground and two planes collided above the playground and it killed oh. and injured a bunch of his friends that's pretty That's incredible. Horrifying. So I just wanted to mention that because it's an airplane podcast, and I thought, wow, how ironic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty. You encounter it, and then you're also in a plane crash. Yeah, that's pretty awful. <laughs> See, I'm just praying that the universe would protest the level of irony that it would take for the three of us to die in a plane crash. So I'm just hoping that the universe prevents that. Yeah. Out of pure prevention of that kind of irony as i always say when you see nick get nervous then you can be nervous (laughs) i mean they do say like people who like to cave dive some of them are like just leave me there you know but i'm like no (laughs) no 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 don't no yeah i don't want to do that let's not Um, so to wrap up my little bit the the tour did not stop even though Three of the main people <laughs> had died tragically. Personally, I think that's distasteful. But uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So Waylon Jennings, Tommy Alsup, who was supposed to be on that airplane, continued performing for two more weeks, with Jennings taking Holly's place as the lead singer. <laughs> so that that's was not fun. Great. I assume yeah. just because of like my my music business mind that they had contracts that they could not pay if they I mean yeah probably pulled out but still I feel like the people who had those contracts should have been like whoa there's usually a clause somewhere about mm-hmm. that there probably is now anyways <laughs> yeah in case of accidental death I wonder if you're it's... no longer able to fulfill this then you are I wonder not if it's the act of god co- clause I don't know. Uh, this was not a... an act of God. Huh? This was not an act of God. They found uh, someone at fault. Therefore, it's not an act of God. Hmm. I'm going to Google yeah, it Act later. of God is more like a hurricane or a tornado. True. But if you chose to fly into a hurricane or tornado. That's different. <laughs> That's your dumb ass making a bad decision. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> wow. Well, that concludes Jen's portion. To this day, they have uh, a signpost by the crash site with uh, a pair of glasses frames, because Buddy Holly wore those thick black frames. There's some other stuff there, a guitar. And uh, one last thing was, you know that song, uh, American Pie by Don mm-hmm. McLean? Bye, bye, yeah. this American Pie. American so that's pie, where yeah. the day the music died came from. Yep. The day the music died. So yeah, there you go. And oh hey, okay. That's why it's in there. Yeah, all right. That <laughs> yeah. makes sense now. And yeah. I also read that they do an annual event at the same music venue they played that night. Oh wow! The surf, whatever it is. Uh the 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 ballroom. Yes, the surf ballroom. Yeah, the surf ballroom, which I think is hilarious because they're landlocked. They're completely landlocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the surf ballroom. They do an annual event there on the day of the accident every year. Wow. I think that'd be fun to just see that. Yeah. If you're ever driving through the area, just be like, oh, hey. Hey. Hey, look at that. We should go see that. 
And let's not charter a flight out of the Fargo airport. Well, Solid. With a 21-year-old pilot that doesn't know visual what he's doing. Pilot. <laughs> you can look also, at his pictures, and there's people on, like, Bonanza. television that look older than this man. Like, Oh, God. I'm sure. <laughs> he's got the hard part and everything. It's great. Anyways. I just want to want to say a little disclaimer for our listeners we're not saying that young pilots are bad pilots we're saying that if you are a vfr pilot you shouldn't be flying in an instrument rating airspace when it's like crappy outside yeah i make good decisions like if you think you know what it's getting a little too uh sketch out here make the decision to say you know what i'm not ifr rated i can't fly today sorry That's a big part of it, and even then, there's a lot of regulations now that would keep this flight from ever happening. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. well, and two, they would not be scheduling this tour in in any sort of manager's mind. Would you schedule what they did in this tour? Yeah, so I don't know how much you want to elaborate on that, but basically... What I understand is that they didn't do similar locations back to back. They would they were all in the Midwest, but they would jump back and forth between states. Like three days before this, they were in Iowa, but they had gone to Illinois or something like that. Yeah. In between. And then they were back in Iowa and then they were going to North Dakota and then they were gonna come back to Iowa. Like this is how the whole tour was. Oy vey. That's mm-hmm. just bad organization. Yeah, yeah, they got highly criticized for that. So they started in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mi- then they went to Minnesota, back to Wisconsin, back to Minnesota, Iowa, <laughs> Minnesota, Jesus. Wisconsin. And then they died in Iowa. Yeah, and they had a lot more planned. And then after that, they kept going, um, eventually in Minnesota at some points. And Kentucky. They went to Kentucky. Huh. So. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. I wonder if they flew airplanes after that. Uh, Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Okay, so we're going to take a break here. Do you need another podcast to listen to? We found a cool true crime podcast for you to check out. The Upper Left Corner PNW True Crime Podcast has a new case every week from the Pacific Northwest. The Pacific Northwest is filled with stunning scenery, as Nick and I know from visiting Al, but it's also known for something more sinister. This beautiful area seems to be a breeding ground for serial killers and other criminals who perform heinous acts. In addition to covering the case, Emily profiles the Pacific Northwest town where each case takes place and reviews a local wine from that area. You don't have to be from the Pacific Northwest to enjoy these true crime cases. In particular, you guys might enjoy Episode 7, a deep dive on the D.B. Cooper case, as well as Episode 8, the lesser-known case of D.B. Tuber. You can listen to the Upper Left Corner PNW True Crime Podcast on your favorite podcast app now. Again, check out the Upper Left Corner PNW, that's Papa November Whiskey True Crime Podcast on your favorite podcast app today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to read the conclusion from the report. There are no findings. And then I will read probable cause, etc. At night, with an overcast sky, snow falling, no definite horizon, and a proposed flight over a sparsely settled area with an absence of ground lights, a requirement for control of the aircraft solely by reference to flight instruments can be predicated with visual certainty. The board concludes that Pilot Peterson, when a short distance from the airport, was confronted with this situation. Because of fluctuation of the rate instruments caused by gusty winds, he would have been forced to concentrate and rely greatly on the attitude gyro, an instrument with which he was not completely familiar. The pitch display of this instrument is the reverse of the instrument he was accustomed to. Therefore, he could have become confused and thought that he was making a climbing turn, when in reality he was making a descending turn. The fact that the aircraft struck the ground in a steep turn but with the nose lowered only slightly indicates that some control was being affected at the time. 
the weather briefing supplied to the pilot was seriously inadequate in that it failed to even mention adverse flying conditions, which should have been highlighted. There you go. Well, yeah, I didn't know that about the, what is it called? The gyroscope? Gyroscope. gyroscope. The gyroscope. Yeah, we talk about it in... TW8260. I'm trying to figure out what episode that is. Which... So many episodes. 18. It's 18. Okay. The probable cause, as verbatim, as always. The board determines that the probable cause of this accident was the pilot's unwise decision to embark on a flight which would necessitate flying solely by instruments when he was not properly certificated or qualified to do so. Contributing factors were serious deficiencies in the weather briefing and the pilot's unfamiliarity with the instrument, which determines the attitude of the aircraft. Hmm. So, now, instead of recommendations, the Civil Aeronautics Board included a safety message for pilots. And I am going to read it in its entirety, because it's less than a page. You'll get over it. To the pilot who has not been exposed to instrument flight utilizing both the attitude gyro and the artificial horizon, the fact that pitch information is displayed in an opposing manner on these instruments does not appear particularly significant. The assumption may be that, providing one is aware of this difference, no difficulty should be experienced in utilizing either instrument. This assumption, however, is true only if the pilot has had sufficient training on both instruments to interpret pitch information from either with equal facility. In the absence of such training or experience, the habit patterns generated by training and repetitive experience in interpreting pitch information displayed in an identical manner each time cause an instinctive reaction in the application of control pressures to achieve a desired result. When this information is then displayed in an opposite manner, the instinctive reaction will cause an improper application of control pressures, a change in attitude contrary to that anticipated, and, at least momentarily, a period of disorientation follows. Unless the pilot is highly skilled in instrument flying and can reorient himself by use of the other instruments in the cockpit, this period of disorientation can be fatal. All pilots who have received instrument training utilizing the artificial horizon are advised not to rely upon the attitude gyro unless sufficient experience has been gained under simulated instrument conditions to ensure competence with this instrument. While this message deals primarily with flight instruments, it is equally applicable to other equipment in the aircraft, including radio navigation and approach aid equipment. And this following bit is in all caps. (laughs) Know your aircraft equipment, its capabilities, and limitations. Do not rely upon any equipment under circumstances requiring its use for the safe conduct of the flight until you have acquired sufficient experience under simulated conditions to ensure your ability to use it properly. There you go. There you go. That's a recommendation if I've ever heard it. (laughs) Have your IFR rating to fly in IFR conditions. (laughs) What a concept. Right, so let's talk about what has changed since then. The commercial pilot certificate is critical for things like this. So in order to be part of one of these charter operations, you have to have your instrument rating before you would get to your commercial rating. And that's when you'd be able to make money operating as a charter pilot. So this pilot never would have been in this situation in today's world. Right. So it's a totally different thing now. Like, you can't just hire a pilot off the street with X amount of hours and just throw them into any airplane. They have to be trained to a certain level, instrument rated, and cleared to fly uh, commercially so they can make money. And then they have to be trained on the plane itself. That's the way of the world now. So it's crazy that they were able to get away with something like that, where they can just hire a small charter like that and just be like, yeah, I don't know. This guy's going to show up with an airplane and I'm just going to get in it. Yeah. And this guy, no experience, basically. So, for example, we were talking about this earlier in regards to going and flying with Brendan. Now that he has private pilot certificate, we can't, like, split the cost of renting a plane with him just so that he can take us up. Like, he has to cover the complete rental cost and we can split fuel and that's it. Because he is not 
commercial rated. He can't just, we can't just split the cost of going up, flying around for a bit, because that would technically be paying him to fly us around. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's the craziness that, I mean, there's specific rules about the exact percentages of certain things you can do these days to pay that pilot. So like, uh, like Brendan with his private pilot certificate. Yeah, we can pay for our portion of fuel, and it has an exact percentage written into the rule. Just like any other thing, with a pilot who's not legally allowed to make money, any kind of gain, any plus percentage on their operating the airplane, they can't... There's no incentive for them to do something like this anymore. So, that's the good thing. Yeah. If you charter from a company... It's probably going to be a bigger airplane for one, or at least if you get something in that size, you're going to be guaranteed a pilot who has the experience and has the commercial rating, who's legally allowed to be in that cockpit and is trained to fly into any conditions. Right. I think it's important to know, like, when you're buying a ticket or, like, a plane ride, you're basically in, like, I just assume, well... This is me knowing that they have their their degrees and their certificates and, like, all their training because they're employed by this employer. Right. There's yeah, it's part of that contract. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah, there's that certain level of trust you place in the company for doing the thing they're supposed to do. Yeah. Because it's illegal that way. So these days, there's so much behind it that... There's so many laws and rules and things that go behind these pilots and the operations that that level of trust is worth having in the industry because they're good at what they do and they are trained and they are certified. So in operation like this back then, yeah, kind of shady. Yeah, I was very, very shady. Like it's one of those things where... And I don't know why this bothers me so much, but a 21-year-old pilot, that's very young. Very, very young. And I'm like I said before, I'm not saying young pilots are bad pilots. You just, normally, you don't have a lot of experience being a young pilot. Right. So that him being trusted to take these important people to a different place and knowing that he doesn't have his IFR ratings... And then it's also, like, a crappy time of year anyway. Like, if there wasn't weather in Iowa, there could have been weather somewhere else that they flew into. So, it's just concerning to me. And, again, they fix that now. Like, you can't just do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, visual pilots who aren't hired find themselves in those situations all the time. And that's the unfortunate thing. But at least they're not hired by somebody important to be flown yeah, around. It's, it's unfortunate that we still have that problem, though some of it's been mitigated by modern ways of being able to determine weather along your route. Right. But still, that's still a problem in the industry. At least it doesn't affect those people that hire the pilots. Yeah, like the pilots might kill themselves, which is horrible. Or may kill them and, and friends and or family, but they won't kill someone who paid to be on board. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, all of those situations are horrible. I'm not saying that them killing themselves or potential other people they care for isn't a bad thing. It's a horrible thing. But they're not killing – it's not the same as taking a commercial flight and then that pilot, you know, flopping on their job and yeah. then killing everybody on board. So here's something to think about, like, not to compare, like, driving a car with a plane, but... We do you, it all the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You, you only have to be 21 to drive Lyft. Right. right. Yep. And yep. it's sort of a personal charter with a company like the airport, you know, like, I don't know. Yep. It, the it's slight like difference comparison. is you can start practicing driving when you're 15, yeah. And not every pilot can start flying when they're 15. Yeah, One, that's true. One, two, you practicing driving doesn't cost as much, so you're more inclined to do it. Oh, right. yeah. And I mean, it's it's easier to attain. 
And yeah, driving is significantly easier than understanding all the rules, regulations, instruments, and things that come with flying an airplane. That's just true. To be fair, it's not like I'm saying I'd prefer a 21-year-old driver to someone else driving me for Lyft, okay? Not what I'm saying. But I am more inclined to trust a 21-year-old driving a car than I am flying an airplane. And that's fair, fair. enough. I can see that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, there are 21 professional pilots, 21-year-old professional pilots. But, yeah, there's a lot now in place that would put that 21-year-old a lot further along in their experience than back then. Yeah, right. that's true. All right, well, that's all, right. all I got. All right. I oh, go have ahead. one last thing on... Okay. Just to add on to Nick's, because of something that I thought was interesting that happened after this occurred for... Famous, not famous people, but just like people who've been involved in accidents in general. So Buddy Holly's widow, Maria Elena Santiago Holly, she ended up learning of his death on television um, oh, that's and terrible. had oh. such a horrible breakdown that she ended up having a miscarriage, um, oh. which is a horrible thing to have happened to somebody. But... At the end of all this, a policy was adopted by authorities to not disclose any names of victims until after the families are informed, which I think yes, is a really great important. development. Yeah, that actually applies to more than just like aviation disasters. Yeah. That occurs with any accident, yeah. not accident. Like if someone gets murdered, they don't release the victim's name until the family has been informed. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that, that doesn't happen because that's horrible. Yeah. She she did go on to, you know, live a happy life and remarry. Um, and she opened a, a educational foundation called the Buddy Holly Educational Foundation. And their foundation is a charitable corporation to keep Buddy Holly's legacy alive by providing musical education to new generations, regardless of income, ethnicity, or educational limitations. So oh, that's, that's awesome. Cool. That's amazing. I figured y'all like would love that. <laughs> Since you know Miranda's a music educator, yeah, yep. just, <laughs> I have to add that the in. You know, cross. thanks <laughs> for letting me talk about you know something that ties into your podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is one. This is a big one, anyways. I mean, it was bound to come up no matter who recommended it because this is you know so well known in like music history, for yeah. example, in modern music, rock and roll, that kind of thing. Like people know these names and they know what happened to them and everybody knows the day the music died they've all heard that term mm -hmm. this is just that story behind it it kind of ties into what we do and why that's important because you know we talk about commercial accidents all the time like airline accidents yeah and those are important because they impact a lot of people but when it impacts somebody important to the world somebody famous somebody well-known, uh, diplomat, whatever it is. There may not be as many people involved, but that can still be really impactful on the industry and the world as well. So, like, when, you know, the these musicians who are really well-known pass away in an accident like this, it's really unfortunate, and the world takes notice. So, normally, this little accident might not get very much attention, but because but of because who was on board, yep. they got a, a lot of attention. The same exactly. thing happened with the Kobe Bryant crash. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Helicopters get a lot more attention now. Yeah, they do. That they do. And I just did the and calculations. Um, they made $108 on that flight. Woo! Mm. Yeah, that's not great. Without subtracting all their costs. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things, you know, like we said, this is... It's important because there was important people involved, and it's unfortunate that that's how it has been played out in history, that it's only when somebody important or a lot of people have been impacted. Yeah. But we progress from it, and these things don't happen anymore. There's just other issues in aviation that we still need to address. Right. I think the important thing to remember, though, is that you three are highlighting the smaller crashes. And I say smaller, but, like, famous people aren't on some of them, you know? Yeah. The less well-known, less, less media-prioritized ones. And it's really helping others know, like, okay, well, people are paying attention who matter. And they're making these new policies and these new laws and these new 
gates that you have to get through to, to even operate a plane. So it's really yeah, nice. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, check yourself before you break yourself. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Check yourself before you crash the airplane. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that was the day the music died. Oh, do we want to say the the tail number? November three seven nine or four November. R.I.P. R.I.P. That was the banana. Thank you everyone for joining us this week. Hopefully, Thanks, I'm hoping that the the putting all this together is gonna go well. Give us <laughs> feedback. You know, let us know. Because we want to do more stuff with other people who potentially don't live in Colorado. And if we know how to do this and have it sound good, then we're more likely to. Like, we'll have Al on again, which everyone loved Al. So Yeah. This was an experiment. And I think it went decent, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. Thank yeah. you, guys. For doing this one. This was a unique experience for us <laughs> so far. Sitting back, huh? Yeah. yeah it's kind of weird not gonna lie yeah it's a little strange i mean i was a little nervous but i got through it hopefully i didn't talk too no, yeah, fast great. yeah great job <laughs> yeah so thank you everyone for listening as always if you would like you can check out the patreon info on the website or not up to you i'm not brendan i'm not gonna force you to do that uh <laughs> throw in some shade there he can't force them to do that either though that's true but i'm not going to seem like i'm going to force you to do that if you would like to check it out you can check it out on the website or you can go to patreon.com slash heartlandings podcast you can also uh submit your stories for next month we haven't figured out what april's gonna be yet so uh we'll let you know uh, this week will be the week we do the one for March, so remember it's when you felt lucky. You can submit your stories on the website, and if you have any questions for us, you can also submit a listener question on the website as well. And uh, stay safe, stay healthy, friends, and we'll see you next time. Keep, Keep your speed up. up! Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast, and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you're using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us a feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Jen and Christy. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Naughty Boogeyman. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. <laughs>